Thanks for joining us today. We believe God is going to do great things in your life, and we want to hear about it. Send us your story at mystory@summitofstay.com and let us know what He's done for you through this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us or bless us with a financial gift, go to summitofstay.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. We learned that the, um, the, the paradox of happy is that if I make happy my goal, I'll never be happy. But if I choose meaning, happy is a byproduct of meaning. So if I have a meaningful life and I make a meaningful choice, happy gets thrown in. But if I just say, I just want to be happy is the goal, I never have meaning or happy. So happy is never a destination. It is a byproduct of something meaningful. And then we talked about the happy illusion. If I could just get, if I could just have, if I could just be, whatever circumstances you choose, then I'd be happy. And then we found out, well, that ain't working either. It's, so this has really been a kind of a fun series for me, and I've enjoyed the feedback from everybody as well. Probably more feedback than normal, uh, so we're ringing some bells in this pursuit of happy. Of course, the Bible word is joy. Uh, happy is, is an emotion, a feeling. Uh, joy is self-sustaining. It's not dependent on circumstances. Uh, I was at the airport changing planes this week and lost my driver's license before going through TSA security. My happiness took a big hit. Right? See? It took a big hit. Now, my joy didn't. I was preaching. I had a meaningful life. I had the joy in there, but I thought, oh, shucks. Now what am I going to do? So uh, created a little drama for me uh, because my happiness was suddenly interrupted by a circumstance. My joy wasn't touched, but happy was. That makes sense? Yeah. yeah, you go out and get in your car, it doesn't start, and you've got to get to the meeting or the church, and all of a sudden your happiness takes a, a big hit, yeah. right? Yeah. Or an unexpected bill comes, or, or, or something with the kids comes, and all of a sudden, well, I was doing real good, but I'm not happy now. So it's just too volatile to be itself. So I hope we get that. Luke 15:10. this is part three of our series. Luke 15, 10, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Our God is in the sin-forgiving, people-saving, life-redeeming business. And if there's rejoicing in heaven, there sure as heck ought to be some here. Would you get an amen on that? When we rejoice, we actually obey God. Here's what Paul writes in Philippians 3, verse 1. Furthermore, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It's a safeguard for you. Then in chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. So why does the Bible command us as believers to be joyful? Well, the big reason is Jesus. It's part of the good news, the gospel. Jesus came to earth to become like us. He taught us how to live. He taught us how to love. He died to forgive my sins. He arose again to defeat my death. I have been adopted into his family. I am called as his friend. I have been given his spirit. 
I can read his word. I have a purpose. I have an identity so that it can never be threatened. I have hope as long as I live on earth and hope in the hereafter in eternity. That's a flipping good reason to be joyful. Absolutely. But there's another reason. When you're a joyful person, you actually give a gift to everyone that comes in touch with you. Your joy is not just about you. When, you around, when you're around joyful people at work, school, or the office, it enhances your life. I mean, you wouldn't want to be around a grouch, would you? But some of you at work have one. But the point is, you actually enrich people's lives. So to be as happy and joyful as you can be around people, that's a major gift to people. Research has shown that joyful people are more compassionate in their actions than less joyful people. They are more financially generous than less joyful people. They develop more friendships and deeper friendships than less joyful people. They are more likely to stay married. They are more resilient in the face of hardship, and they actually thrive better when they get ill. All the benefits of being a joyful person. Nehemiah 8, verse 10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Wow. So there must be something good about this. Not the happiness, but the joy of the Lord is my strength. So when you work and you're joyful, it enhances the work of the people around you. Unhappy Christians are a stronger argument against Christianity than the strongest argument any atheist ever made. Sourpuss, uh, unhappy believers. See, that's why joy is not just about you. That's why joy is commanded repeatedly in the Bible. So tonight I want to talk about the shocking secret that happy people learn. Philippians 2 First four verses, and I'm reading from the Message Bible. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if His love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Now, those words were staggering to the people of Philippi, a Roman colony. Paul is deliberately subverting the culture of Philippi and its values. So now let me take a few minutes to describe the culture of Philippi, which is not much different than the American culture. Uh, Philippi was a Roman colony I taught last week. Roman culture was oriented around status and social recognition. It was called honor. It it was a constant pursuit of honor. Rome was the most status-oriented culture in the ancient world. Cicero wrote, By nature we yearn and hunger for honor, and once we glimpsed its radiance, there is nothing we are not prepared to bear and suffer in order to secure it. 
So the secret to happiness in Philippi was advantage yourself, promote yourself, serve yourself. And by the way, in the Bible, whether it means anything to you or not, Psalm 75 says promotion doesn't come from the north or the south or your hype or you're trying to get advantage. It comes from the Lord. And if God promotes you, nobody can stop it. That's what's beautiful about the thing. And if he doesn't promote you, for God's sake, what are you doing? You're going to have a big fall. So I've got to trust and believe he knows best. It may be timing. It may not be the best time yet. But the point is, promotion comes from God. Quit trying to promote yourself. When people promote themselves and flaunt themselves, it is a turnoff to me. I don't know how you receive it, but I don't like somebody who flaunts themselves as though they're something special. I loathe it. It doesn't impress me. It probably impresses poor people, but it does not impress me because I know the difference. It doesn't mean a thing. My self-worth does not come from my net worth. How much jewelry I have, designer clothes I have, uh, the gated community I live in, the square footage, big deal. If I drive a Toyota pickup with 200,000 miles on, and I have, I'm just as good and secure as if I drive a Mercedes-Benz. But some of you don't really believe it. Your whole image is in what you have, what you wear, what you own, and you want everybody to know, hey, hey, uh, and Jesus came to alleviate that, to say, if you're in my kingdom, you already are somebody, and you don't have to prove it and try to get your, because when you don't have those things and you can lose them, now what are you going to do? Where's your self-worth now? Big shot, get out of your Mercedes and get in a Toyota pickup. And let's see if you still feel so arrogant. Cheer up, it gets worse. <laughs> Society was divided into categories, ranks, in order to make the race for more honoring uh, appealing. The basic division in Philippi, this Roman colony, was between the elites and the non-elites. Only 2% of the population was in the elite category. 98% were simply the masses. At the bottom of the elite scale were slaves. Slaves had no status, no honor, no control over their lives, and no rights. Masters could do anything to them, including kill them. They also could not have shoes. Slaves. That's the bottom of the non-elite. Just above them were free men. They're not slaves, but they had few rights. And then above them, in another status category, were citizens of the Roman Empire. You had rights, you had better status than slaves or free men. So these are all in the non-elite group. In the elite group, the lowest level were the equestrians. They had enough money to buy horses. Above them was a very elite group called the Senate or senators. And at the top of the elite was one guy, Caesar, the emperor. So this is the ladder everybody's trying to climb. Everything in their society was arranged to reinforce and accommodate for honor. Now, for example, people's clothes in Philippi were all about their status. If you were a free man, you could wear a special hat. 
It was called the free man's cap. You'd wear it with pride because it told everybody, I'm one up from a slave. I'm a free man. I'm a rung up on the ladder. If you were a citizen, you could wear a toga. If you were not a citizen, it was forbidden for you to wear a toga. You wore it because you wanted everybody to know you're not a slave, you're not a freeman, you're above them. If you were an equestrian, you could wear a toga and a gold ring. You remember in James 2, James warned the church not to fawn over somebody that comes to the church because of their wealth and they wear a gold ring and to show them partiality. Remember that? That's life in the kingdom, all right? So they could wear a toga, these equestrians. Then above an equestrians were the Roman senators. And they could wear a toga, a gold ring, and have a purple stripe on the toga. Woo! If you were an equestrian, you couldn't wear the purple stripe. And of course, Caesar, he, could, he had unlimited perks. He could wear anything he wanted to. Let's take the legal system in Philippi. It was designed to reinforce status. So your rights would vary. Everybody was not equal before the law in Rome. There was, uh, it, it was considered appropriate because it enforced this honor culture. A citizen of Rome could not be flogged. Non-citizens could be flogged. If you remember in Acts 16, Paul was flogged and beaten, and then afterwards they found out he was a Roman citizen, and they freaked out because he had rights, and they had just violated it. The most dishonorable status was a slave, and the most dishonoring punishment was to be hung on a tree. Now, King James says cross. The original language says tree. I know you imagine a cross beautifully hewn and shaped. That was not a cross. A cross was a tree cut down and then put together, crossed. It was rough. It was scratchy. It wasn't, it wasn't measured and shaped beautifully. It was a tree. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree, it says in the Old Covenant. Everybody okay? Just a little Bible, little Bible understanding. So the most dishonorable punishment was to be hung on a tree. The Romans were masters of capital punishment, and the most dishonoring, disgraceful, humiliating form of punishment was crucifixion. It was reserved only for slaves. The purpose was not just to kill, but to humiliate, because you're stripped naked. You're six inches off the ground. People could spit at you, curse you, slap you, do anything they wanted to. It was humiliating. In Rome, it was called the slave's punishment. It was considered so vile and profane that in polite conversations, that word, crucifixion, slave's punishment, was considered to be an obscenity and was not to be used. Seating at public events was all about status. In our day, if, if you're flying with good seats, they say you're flying first class, right? Not second class, not economy, not coach. And they even put a curtain up between first class and status so that the people in the lower category can't see into the Holy of Holies. Anybody ever fly? Right? So you remember the curtain? There you go. Airlines will usually assign you a status. 
premier, ruby, pearl, gold, diamond, cubic zirconium, <laughs> linoleum. All these amazing words are designed to make you want more status. They will even allow higher status flyers to board before lower class passengers. Then some marketing guy said, we can put down a red carpet for our first class passengers, and then we'll roll up the red carpet and make lower class people walk on regular old airport carpet. How shamed they will all feel. See, then there's a monitor that has the upgrade list on it, right? Because everybody wants an upgrade, and they put people's names on it in uh, rank or order of their status. So you're going to be ranked or listed in order of your status. If you want an upgrade, and, and I fly more miles and have a higher ranking, then I get to be on the upgrade list if one is available over you because I have a higher status. And by the way, you will never, ever see a downgrade status monitor, ever. First-class passengers never compete for a lower status seat. Doesn't happen. So in Philippi, if you went to an event, a theater or sports, seating was arranged not by ticket price, but by status. You'd be thrown out if you tried to sit in a seat above your status. For Romans, it was being was being seen. They would use whatever status they had to try to climb higher. That's what Roman society and American culture was all about. Sometimes people would lose status, maybe for criminal behavior or for some reason they lost their wealth. That was terrible, and they would fall in status. I tell people in snobby, high-end, gated communities with the proper zip code. If you fall out of favor and go bankrupt or through divorce or through something else and you lose your status, you'll find out very quick your phone doesn't ring, you don't get invited to the parties, and nobody cares. They didn't care about you anyway. So why do you suck up to that kind of living? I pray every one of you might become wealthy and prosperous, have the home you want, the clothes you want. Not a thing wrong with that. What's wrong is when you become a stinking snob, and when you suddenly think you are better than somebody else because you have the latest fashion, the latest designer person, the hottest car, square footage, the whatever. Let me tell you something. You still stink. You're still a sinner saved by grace, and you're not better than anybody else, and all you got to do is lose it to prove it. And then we'll see how popular you suddenly are. Nobody cares. Nobody invites you out anymore. Terrible. So I hope you do well, and I hope you remember those in a lower status and treat them just like an equal, because that's what God says the church was supposed to do. Don't you let anybody have the best seat because they're wealthy or because they're popular or because they have whatever. He says, no, it's first come, first serve. You don't, you don't degrade people because they're of a lower status. So no matter what you have, be approachable, be kind, be generous to everybody. Just say, well, he's a regular guy, but he, he has a lot of power, a lot of influence, or maybe a lot of money. But you ought to be the same old guy you were before you had anything like that in the kingdom. We're talking about the kingdom, okay? Not a bunch of snotty snobs, okay? If you Google, you can read an article, and I quote, how to cope with losing your elite status. 
how to cope losing your elite status. Every year on March 1st, the airlines reissue your status. The writer called it Judgment Day. You can fall from diamond to linoleum. In Philippi, the loss of elite status was called being humbled. Nobody ever volunteered for it. No one ever said, I'd like to be humbled. It was considered a tragedy. It was appalling. That's life in Rome, in Philippi. And now, all that to show you how Jesus is going to mess with Philippi and mess with that status-seeking culture. Philippians 2, verse 5 and 6. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Act the way He acted. Think the way He did. Who, being in the very nature of God Almighty, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Now, Paul is using loaded language here, and everybody that's listening knows it. Although Jesus was clothed in the nature and glory of God, he did not use it for his own advantage. He chose to disadvantage himself for the benefit of other people like you and me, right? Philippians 2, 7, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a slave being made in human likeness. See, with Jesus, no purple stripe, no gold ring, no citizen's toga, no freeman's cap, and Paul deliberately uses the word slave. Because when they write these letters, they're writing them to a particular church in a particular culture. So they load the language up. Jesus has gone from the highest position to the lowest position. And he's volunteered for the ultimate all-time downgrade to go from Lord of all to slave of all. Paul goes on in verse 8, Philippians 2, and being found in appearance as a man, oh, here's that terrible word, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Well, nobody became obedient. The Romans hated that word. That word was reserved for a child or a slave. Obedient, humbling them, it was a word of weakness, not strength. Jesus became obedient unto death, not just death, but death on a tree, on a cross. That's as low as you can possibly go. The Lord of all has become a crucified slave. So which life did Jesus choose for himself, the happy life or the meaningful life? He chose meaning, right? Can you understand that anybody in Rome, in Philippi, would look at this description of Jesus with scorn, with contempt, and total confusion? Are you kidding me? He went down, and he did it on purpose? Because nobody in Rome would do that. That's why Paul says the cross is folly to the pagan mind. It's a loser strategy. Nobody would do that. But Rome is wrong. Philippians 2, verse 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him to the highest place and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So first, it's Jesus acting, humbling himself, 
Now God the Father is acting. One who is infinitely above Caesar is going to exalt one who became infinitely below Caesar, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And that day will come, folks. Osama bin Laden will bow his knee. Mohammed will bow his knee. Adolf Hitler will bow his knee. Joseph Stalin will bow his knee. And remember, honor is not honor if it's not public. And Paul says one day it's going to be public, and every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth is going to bow. And every tongue above and below and in the earth will confess Caesar ain't Lord after all. The crucified slave Jesus is Lord. So this kingdom of God is smashing into the kingdom of Rome, and the first end up being last, and servants are the great ones in the kingdom of God. And the shocking secret that happy people learn is that the road to joy lies not through self-advancement, but death to self. My self is me, myself, and I. The same Jesus comes to me and comes to you right now with the oddest recruitment slogan in the history of human causes. Take up your cross? Who recruits people like that? We say, be all you can be. Go army. The few, the proud, the Marines, right? Jesus said, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Value others. Serve others. Seek the advancement of others above yourself. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Yeah, your sinful, idol-worshiping, petty, fearful, me-first, ladder-freaking-climbing self. That's from Jesus. Die so that the you God intended and designed, the nobler you, might live. See, joy doesn't come by indulging my sinful self, but by dying to it. So Paul begins his letter in Philippi from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. I'm a slave, he says, of a crucified slave. And not just that, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So Paul says, I'm the crucified slave of a crucified slave. How low can you go? You mean, Rick, I'm supposed to sacrifice myself? Mm-hmm. Or put limits on how much I accumulate? Or cheer on people who get ahead of me? Or forego comfort, security, and pleasure if it becomes necessary? Or disadvantage myself for the sake of people I don't even know? Or humble myself by acknowledging my own flaws, my sin to a God whose mercy I don't deserve? Yep, that's it. And God knows how hard it is for us to die to that stinking, selfish, ladder-climbing, want-to-be-famous-be-seen-noticed self. Self. That's why Paul says, I was crucified with Christ. I can't even get being crucified by myself. It's going to take the Lord to help me. So, I guess the question is, will we as believers die to that stinking culture in our country that was in Rome, that's in the world? and adapt to the one. Remember, he's not saying any perk that you've worked for and enjoy is bad. It's an attitude of thinking. It's self-promoting. It's trying to say, I'm special. I'm somebody, or whatever. 
I've, I've, I've been in conferences and out of state, and somebody will, will, will come. I don't know who they are, but they said, they'll tell somebody who's uh, part of security, whatever, oh, I know Rick, and, and he's my friend, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm. And I thought, what? The minute I hear that, I just back up. I don't even like you. I hadn't even met him. Don't even, don't even like him. I don't talk like that. I don't behave like that. And you don't need to behave like that. Get all you can. Achieve as much as you can. Enjoy it. Share with others. But don't let everybody think you're some big blowhard, uh, uh, special somebody. Are you married to a husband that does very well, and you, you're privileged to have designer clothes, a late model car, live in a gated community, maybe be part of a country club, maybe uh, get, get tickets to the Spurs game? That's a privilege. That's not right. It's a privilege. And you ought to be saying more than anybody, oh, thank you, Jesus, for such mercy and grace. And I'll try to be as kind to others as I can, share, and no matter if I have a box seat, I won't be asinine. I won't be pompous. I'll be as gracious and kind to others as I can be. God was gracious to me. I mean, a lot of it nobody even achieved. Somebody inherited it or somebody gave it to you because of what they achieved. How, how dare we be able to say, well, well, I've been in churches like that. We're like, well, you don't actually belong here or you're not our kind of person or people. What? I want to throw up on them. Yeah. That's not in the Bible. This is terrible, folks. I'm trying to preach it out of you to say, get control of that self. This is not part of Jesus' attitude or behavior. And it shows real insecurity in you or me if we behave that way. I, I was impressed. I told my wife about it. It was about five years ago. I was at the airport waiting on bags to come around the carousel. And this uh, looked like uh, Hispanic lady, very, very attractive, maybe from uh, uh, Cozumel or somewhere, and she was waiting on her bag, and she had what I thought was a clear uh, plastic Louis Vuitton handbag that was absolutely, back then, I had never seen one like that, stunning. And I know what those things cost, up to five grand for some of them. And I was just complimenting her on how that is gorgeous. You know what she said to me? I mean, she was, she was very not attractive lady, very, very well-dressed and whatever. She said, I got it for 90 bucks. You can get one too. It was counterfeit. She didn't put on airs and say, oh, thank you very much. She said, I paid 90 bucks for it. I said, where is it? I'll get my wife one of those too. That'll be paying five grand, right? Look that good. I've seen fake Rolexes, fake whatever. But I don't care if it's a Timex. Just be real. Relax, okay? Thank God if you can afford one, good. Or somebody gave you one, good. I get to drive a sports car that I didn't pay for, didn't work for, didn't do anything for. You know, all I say is, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. But I don't think it makes me hot to trot if I go somewhere driving up in that thing. And I tell anybody, oh, oh, oh. And I thought, why would you fawn over four rubber tires that are depreciating every day? It sits there, catastrophically depreciating, as though that makes me somebody. And I always say, yeah, somebody gave me that. Or I could make them think it's my achievement and you pay me so well, I could buy that. <laughs> Didn't happen. 
I say it all the time. I did this morning get men's breakfast. Somebody gave it to me. How nice, huh? What'd you say, Rick? I said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But I, if, I, if I drive a five-year-old Volkswagen or whatever, fine. Doesn't matter. I'm not need less or better. Everything I know, everything I can do, I still got. No matter what I drive or what area code I live in or zip code. Right? Y'all sure are quiet. So will we as believers start to die for our... And Paul says, I die daily. This is something you work on every day. It ain't a one decision. It's a daily challenge to do it. Will we take up our cross, like Paul said, and die daily? You, you know, it, being crucified is very painful. You might want to try it and see. It's very painful. And so when you deny yourself, it's painful. It's a sacrifice. You bet it is. Because inside your flesh wants to do something else, to boast or brag. or what, But to not do that when you could do it, it hurts. And so a lot of people don't want to give that sacrifice. So will I be as best I can, wholly devoted to Jesus? And then asking yourself, have you done that? Has the strategy of Rome, climbing the ladder, gotten you what you wanted? You know, the divorce rate is just as higher and higher in the big proper zip codes in our city and income levels. Alcoholism, drug abuse among the elite, just as high. If happiness was flowing out of Alamo Heights or Dominion or whatever else, we'd be hearing about revival. But it doesn't make anybody by itself happy, right? Okay, so, so, so go ahead, get it out of your system if you have to, but you'll never find joy by trying to advance yourself. If you're ready to fully surrender your life, your will, sometimes your reputation, your talents to serve, your time, your money, Jesus said, good. Take up your cross and follow me. Thanks for joining us today, and may God richly bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.